Well, this weekend, uh, we are returning to an opportunity we did. Oh, man, it was almost at the beginning of the school year. Um, we had Grant come, and we put him on the hot seat, and we said, hey, let's ask Grant anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so what, here's how this works. Um, there's actually, a, 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 you get to get text questions right now during the service. And there's the, the phone number's right up here. It's 360-358-2235. We'll be taking all those questions in. And of course, we'll even get more questions that we can answer. A couple of us are backstage, you know, kind of sorting through and, and cherry picking questions. Um, but I'm going to leave you with one question, then you, you're on your own, buddy. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, That's great. Hey, Grant, Grant, why are you doing this? That's a great question, and right now I'm actually, I'm questioning whether or not I should be doing this. Um, Well, but but let let me just basically explain kind of the premise behind it and why we're doing, uh, we actually believe Christianity should be a dialogue. It's supposed to be a conversation. We're supposed to be talking back and forth, Um, and if this is a family and it's a safe place, which hopefully we've made it over the last, um, I mean, I've been here for 18 years, and so hopefully we've established enough trust to be able to have a conversation and uh, to be able to stay respectful within the conversation. And normally, I mean, I really try hard not to, not to talk at people, but to talk with people. But, uh, but let's face it, for the, for the most part, we, church is about the only place where you're outside of the theater where you're going to find a monologue happening every single week. And uh, we think sometimes it's better to kind of ditch the monologue and just have a conversation because I don't know about you, but when I talk to my friends, we both talk. We exchange ideas, we go back and forth, and so we want to be able to do that. Another reason is because it's actually biblical. So my favorite, my favorite character in all of Scripture outside of Jesus is Peter. I love Peter. Um, Peter had a mouth. I got a mouth. Peter's mouth gets him in trouble. My mouth gets me in trouble. Um, and at the end of his life, when Peter is just kind of, he, he's got a lot more years under his belt, and he's, he's a little kinder and he's a little gentler, uh, he makes a statement in First Peter chapter 4, which he says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And, and I think as, as Christians, we, we've, we've lost the ability and the right to just have a good conversation with somebody. I mean, we're supposed to be a body of Christ. Let's face it, we're mostly known as our mouth, right? I mean, that's just it. But, but what, if, what if we could integrate other parts of, of God's body and actually have a respectful dialogue and ask questions? Um, the reason that we do this with no prep, so I don't know what questions are coming. I have no idea. Um, you're texting them in right now. Uh, we already we had so many questions last night. I think, I think we got to seven out of all of them. Um, can't be exhausted. But the reason why we kind of fly without a net, it's just me and my Bible, is because um, I don't like prepared canned answers. I think there's something authentic and transparent about me turning around going, oh, wow. Um, I also think it opens up the door for me to be able to answer with the, the honest words, I don't know. As I think that's okay to say sometimes, right? If it's a great question, you don't know the answer. I think it's okay to say, I don't know. Um, and then to go and try and pursue an answer. And so hopefully we're modeling a bunch of different things here. And we're going to give it our best shot. And my anxiety is like, woo, right up here right now. And I had a 20-ounce mocha, so I'm totally fired up and ready to go. And we have no idea what's coming next. And it's crazy. And so, um, yeah, let's do this. Okay, first question. Let's see what pops up. How can I prioritize God when it feels like my everyday obligations are more immediately pressing? Clue. We're diving right in, aren't we? My goodness. How can I prioritize God when it feels like my everyday obligations are more immediately 
pressing. You know, my everyday obligations have a place within my life, but I think they have to be placed within priority. And so when I look at those, those moments, I mean, Scripture tells us, and hopefully you're going to hear this a lot this morning, Scripture tells us that God has prepared everything that's coming into your life in advance so that you can attack those things for one purpose, and that's to bring honor and glory to His name. So he's supposed to be the prioritization. So I understand, you know, we all have schedules and we all got stuff to do. My question is this, uh, number one, do you have enough margin in your life for the God interruptions? Because if you're just obligated to, to work through your day and, and I'm working out my plan, I mean, my Bible says something very specific about my plans. It basically says <laughs> they're futile. You can make plans all you want to, but God's got a bigger plan and he overrules. And so I have to look at the prioritization of what those obligations actually are. And so if I love Jesus more than anything, and I wake up in the morning with an absolute belief in my heart that God has orchestrated that day, that I don't know about you, but it would make logical sense that I would start with the God who orchestrated the day. Because he's the one that's giving common grace to all of us, right? Common grace is simple. If you're breathing right now, you're experiencing the common grace of God. If you, are, uh, if you are feeling joy right now, that's the common grace of God. If you're upright and taking nourishment, that's the common grace of God. So I believe that, that, that when, when I start with God as my priority first thing in the morning, what I figure out very quickly is that some of those obligations, they're just me. I'm just making stuff up as I'm going along and I'm putting pressure on myself in order to accomplish that. And, and I don't know about you, but my life has been so much different since I started waking up in the morning and saying, okay, God, I don't know what you got planned, but let's do this together. Because I don't want to do one thing that's out of step with you. I don't want to take on a priority that's not prioritized by you. I don't ever want to see people as interruptions. I want to see them as opportunity. I want to have room in my life and space for you to breathe and to actually talk to me in, in the cracks in between. And I don't want to become so purposeful that, that I push the purposeful God who's created the pattern for that day out to the margins because that's not where he belongs. He belongs in the center of everything. So I start my day by inviting Jesus to hijack it because it's just way more fun. And then I ask him to prioritize my day because what I find is my list of obligations is not nearly, it doesn't often match up with what his priorities and obligations are for that particular day. And I only have one obligation, and that's to bring honor and glory to my Father, and I want to make sure that I do that. And by my Father, I don't mean Ernie Fishbook, I mean my Heavenly Father. Okay, so, okay, let's take another one. Here we go. Jesus said that the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Hmm. So I get questions about the unpardonable sin all of the time. In fact, I have visited people in, um, in psych wards because they believe they've committed the unpardonable sin and therefore believe in their heart that they cannot be forgiven and that they're basically doomed to hell because of a decision they made or something that came out of their mouth in a moment of unbelievable pain and in a moment of unbelievable anxiety. And so I would say this. This is how I define the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is to die with an unrepentant heart before Christ. Because when that door is closed, and God doesn't close the door, we close, we choose to close that door. At that point, there is a line that God draws. 
It says there is no second chance after this life is over and it's finished. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit means I have heard the testimony of Jesus. I know what God says about salvation. He called me out of my sin. He made a way. He built the bridge. And I die without ever acknowledging that or receiving that. So that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because basically it's just like, I hear you. I don't care. And to die in that condition to me, and according to God's definition, is that would be quote-unquote unforgivable because God is essentially honoring your choice. And I often think of it this way, you know, um, if we will not say to God, and somebody famous said this one time, I don't know who they were, but (laughs) if we will not say to God, thy will be done, ultimately God will then say to us, then your will be done. And if your will is to reject God's truth and die in that condition, that's unforgivable. So do I believe it's unforgivable to have a moment and to curse God and to to be angry and frustrated and say something you regret? No, because if that was true, then I've already committed the unforgivable sin when I was a younger man. Because I cursed God more times than I can imagine. More times than I would ever care to admit to you. And yet I believe God's grace covers all of that. And so I would say this, now's the time. Now's the time to actually enter into a relationship with Jesus, to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And here's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, whether or not you want to listen or not. Your good's not good enough, but the good of Jesus is more than good enough. And he wants to intercede for you and step in for you. He already paid the price for your sin. He wants to acknowledge that. And he wants you to live in freedom, hope, and joy while the rest of the world is freaking out. All right? Okay. Let's take another one. Let's see what happens. Every time I turn around, I freak out, just so you know. Okay. I know it's important to share God with people, but I'm an introvert, and I'm afraid I won't communicate well. How do I overcome that fear without fighting against the way that God made me? Oh, wow. Introverts in the room, believe it or not, you are my people, okay? People freak out when they hear that. I'm an introvert. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like people. It just means I recharge away from people, okay? So um, it's funny. People come over to our house for dinner, and Laurel and I sometimes will have this little pool as to how long it's going to take them to call back and say, was Grant okay? Because at my house, I am as mellow and relaxed as all get out. And, and my greatest joy comes in listening to my family enjoy each other's company and their conversation. I'm a raging introvert off of this little platform right here. Okay? I get paid to be an extrovert. That's how it works. So, but what we're saying is, <laughs> it's true. Okay. Um, it's important to share God with people, but I'm an introvert and I'm afraid that I won't communicate well. Okay. So don't let your fear corrupt the fact that God still gave you the great commission. Go therefore, make disciples, teaching, preaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that goes across all personality styles, okay? The great commission and the great commandment trump personality styles. And so I, as an introvert, still have to take steps of faith, and that's what I would encourage you to do. See sharing your faith as an opportunity to exercise your faith. Be available be watchful, and see when those conversations are there. And then remember, when you step into that, God's actually going to use your specific wiring to touch that specific purpose because God wants their heart way more than you do. 
way more than you do. And he created you to be who you are. I mean, okay, don't take offense, but if the world was full of extroverts, that would scare me. If, if everyone was an extrovert, it's just like, ah, right? I'm surrounded by a team of extroverts. I, they use up all my words by one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm done. I'm done. But when we're sharing our faith specifically, God created you uniquely. The Bible also says that he actually created that opportunity that's right in front of you. So if he cares more about the person's heart than you ever could, and he puts you in that situation, it means you were fearfully and wonderfully made for that opportunity. So don't pass up. Don't pass up on it. Now, the rest of the question is, you're afraid you're not going to communicate well. Guess what? Um, if God loves the heart of that person more than you do, he's going to give you exactly what you need to say. So that's when you need to pray, Lord Jesus. And that's so weird. There are times when I'm here and stuff comes out of my mouth. I'm like, I don't have any idea where that came from. <laughs> but I actually know, right? Hopefully it's the Holy Spirit talking. Sometimes it freaks me out because I preach a message and then somebody comes up and says, Grand, you know, I got so much out of that and, and this is what it said. And I don't remember saying anything that they said. <laughs> Which gives me great hope because it's just that means God is here and sometimes he's going to plug your ears so you can't hear anything. Another time he's going to fill in some blanks because I'm doing a horrible job. I think that's beautiful. But then how do I overcome that fear without fighting against the way that God made me? I think we have to become very comfortable with the fact that God doesn't make mistakes. So if he created you to be an introvert, that's okay. But you can't use your style as an excuse to not share. And so you use your unique way of doing it. In fact, you know what, you know what I found out about introverts? They're usually really good listeners. And most people in this world, they just need somebody that's willing to listen. And you don't need to do as much talking as I think we'd like to convince ourselves that we need to do. When somebody's hurting and grieving, I think the greatest thing you can do is simply be there and listen. And listen to them as they process through. And then as the Holy Spirit prompts you to be able to, 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 to lay things open for people's consideration. You don't need to convince anybody of anything. It's just like, I'd like to submit this to you for your consideration. Have you ever thought that? And then I walk through it with them. So God has uniquely equipped extroverts and he's uniquely equipped introverts. Here's something that I think is really, really cool. Jesus was an introvert. You know how I know that? Because it keeps saying, and he went away to a solitary place to pray and connect with his Holy Father. He's recharging. In fact, there's times when he says he was overwhelmed by the crowds because of all of the needs that they had. And so he withdrew to a solitary place to refill that tank so that he could go back to the crowds and accomplish what God wanted him to do. So as an introvert, you've been uniquely equipped just like Jesus. Now the Apostle Paul, full-on extrovert. He's just out there. I mean, he's talking verbal words and all the rest of it. I think both of them are beautiful models of the fact that God has still given the great commission to all of us and we need to exercise that. So don't let your fear press you into silence. Let your fear drive you to Jesus who is going to empower you in all of that and don't be afraid of your unique style because that's why God put you in that particular situation. You're perfectly made for it, okay? Awesome. Have you ever had struggles with your higher power or stopped believing in him or feeling abandoned? If so, how did you overcome it? Stop believing in him or feeling abandoned. You know, uh, so yes, have I had that struggle? Now, I named my higher power a long, long time ago, right? 
You sang his name earlier in the service. So my higher power is Jesus, one-third of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one and three, three and one. It's a mystery. Don't try and explain it because you're probably going to do a lousy job. I don't get it either. It's a mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. But have there been times when I have struggled? Yeah, and normally the times that I've struggled are in God's silence. When God suddenly goes silent and I feel like he has left me, um, Jesus asked that question of his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think that's a bad question to ask, and I think it's very human for us to ask at times. But what I, what I learned was this. Don't ever mistake silence for absence. Because just because God is quiet does not mean he's not there. And so I overcame it by, by actually believing in my heart that just because God was quiet did not mean that he had left me, that he had, that, that, that he, I mean, here's what scripture tells us, right? I will never, never leave you or forsake you. So if I feel like he has left me or forsaken me, that's a lie from the devil and, and he's called the prince of liars and the king of liars for a reason, because he doesn't want you to believe what is true. So I have to make a decision in that moment. That's what God said. That's true. No matter how I'm feeling, because feelings always lead us in the wrong direction. No matter how I'm feeling, I know what it is to hold to the truth. And my Bible tells me, and God promised that he would never leave me, abandon me, or forsake me. So I'm going to take him at his word. Now, there may be times when I feel distant. Normally, my first question is, who moved? Because if God didn't move and he never moves, it means I've created distance. And if God is silent, here's what I've learned in my own heart to do. There's usually a reason. Sometimes he's waiting for me just to talk myself out. Sometimes he's waiting for me to match his silence. Because God's not going to try and get in a shouting contest with me. And it's interesting. Scripture tells us over and over again it's not, well, it's a still, small voice. In order to hear a still, small voice, you have to stop talking. Often silence from God is a gift because he just wants me to stop and be silent in that moment. So have I struggled with that? Absolutely. But the way I overcome it is by entering into God's silence and not trying, to, not trying to press back against it because that just becomes a war of wills. And I don't know about you, but every time I've had a war of wills with the God of the universe, I lost. That's how it worked together. Okay? All right. Let's try another one. Wow, these questions are like, good grief. What happened to the, how are you doing today? Like, that would be a nice one. Um, if God makes all things in his image... Why did he give my son a genetic defect that cost him his life shortly after birth? How do I trust that won't happen again? Hmm. So God has created all of us in his image. That's what scripture tells us. So that means the thumbprint of God has been rolled on each one of our souls, whether we acknowledge it or not. At the same time, when God created the earth, man took it on himself, and we're going to learn this all the way through the book of Genesis. We have a historical pattern of breaking God's ideal. So man broke God's ideal, 
And because of that, sin entered into the world. And because of that, uh, the world's broken. Here's what I can tell you. God did not give your son a birth defect. Okay? God did not give your son a birth defect. That birth defect was a direct result of the brokenness. And as much as that broke your heart, it broke God's heart more. Because he didn't create us to be that way. He didn't create us to experience that pain. And I will remind you, um, because I'm pretty sure you're here. As much as it hurt you to lose a son, God knows exactly how that feels. Because God lost a child too. And so we enter into that pain. He enters into that pain with us. He understands that. But I want to make sure we understand the source. Because often we take the wrong thing and say, that came from God. That did not come from God. That came from the brokenness of the earth. It manifested in the life of your baby boy. And that's heartbreaking to you and it's heartbreaking to God too. And in that moment, we have this really difficult thing of how do we enter in to God's presence when we're in pain? And we do it the same way that Jesus did. We make a decision to go there. Now, the second part of the question, how do I trust that that won't happen again? You know, the truth is, there is no guarantee. My mom and dad both had cancer. There's no guarantee it won't come back. They've been clean for a long time. Every time I call them, I'm like waiting for the phone call, right? But mom and dad have made it for an extended period of time, and I'm thankful for that. But the reality is we continue to live in a broken world. And if you were here last week, you, you heard the cry of Hannah. I, 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 am so, I was so thrilled by the response last week because we have to come to a place where we say, and we look back at whatever pain that was. In, in my family, it was the death of Laurel's dad, the death of Laurel's brother, and the death of Laurel's 15-year-old niece within an incredibly short amount of time. It was just bang, bang, bang. We did funeral, funeral, funeral. And being able to look back at that season of our life with still with all the pain that's with it and be able to say, God, I don't understand all of the whys, but it is well with my soul. You know, that song was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford who lost his entire family in a tragic accident. And he wrote that song as the ship passed over the place where his entire family drowned. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot it has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So there is no guarantee. I wish I could give you one. In fact, I'd love to put a bumper sticker on that, but it wouldn't be right. There is no guarantee. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust that he was there? Will you trust that he understands the pain? And will you trust that if the unthinkable happens, he'll be there again? You know, this just seems right. Uh, can we just pray for that person? Right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray over this broken heart. And God, would, would you move to that heart right now? And would you cover that heart with your grace? 
knowing you know exactly what it feels like to lose a child. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't try to speed through the healing, but they would feel deeply, knowing you never punish us for being honest. God, would you teach us again how to understand that the only thing that comes from you is good, right, honest, and pure. And yet you've called us to live and trust you in a very broken world. So God, would you give us the wisdom to discern between the two? Lord, I pray that this broken heart would choose to trust you again and that you would show up strong even when there's no guarantees. And Lord, may that that person know that not only are they loved by you, but they're loved by this family in the midst of their pain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. I love the fact that they misspelled my name. You know, um... And the people that are, that are typing this stuff in, like that are just coming in, that, um, so they've all been here, like two of them have been here longer than I have, and they still don't know that, wow. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Just so you know, my last name has been murdered for years, right? And the thing that cracks me up is when people come and go like, oh, it's just, it was such a God thing. You know, like the fish book. Like it's, I mean, it's just a, it's just a really weird last name. That's the only way to put it, right? There's no spiritual meaning that comes behind it. Um, what does a typical, typical week look like in the life of Grant Fishbook? Well, um. <laughs> it's going to go downhill from here. All right. So, um, so, so Mondays all day long, um, start in the morning waking up um, with the most beautiful girl in the world. Um, we're empty nesters now again, which is, which is just amazing and awesome. And so I start my day, my Mondays with Laurel. And then um, uh, Mondays are meeting days from beginning to end. We do service production. We go, we, we, we figure out what worked on the weekend, what didn't work on the weekend. We're always evaluating, checking. Um, and then uh, the last part of my Monday afternoon is, is sermon prep. That's when I start my sermon prep. And then all day Tuesday is sermon prep. Uh, believe it or not, I don't just make stuff up. I got to work really, really hard to not get in trouble. Um, and so I'm not a natural theologian. Um, I love to write, and so I have to spend an inordinate amount of time just studying and making sure that we're being accurate. I also spend a lot of time just sitting there saying, God, what do you want the people of Christ the King to know? Because all I know is this, man, you do not want to listen to me. But if I can make a little bit of a bridge between you and the Holy Spirit, that's fantastic. So that's Tuesday all day. Uh, Wednesday morning is a management team meeting for three hours, which drives me crazy because I'm an introvert in a room full of extroverts, but we do a lot of work. Um, we, we have a lot of employees here. It's a big church. We've got five campuses. And so there's all of the management that needs to go. And I work together with Pastor Todd. We're like, we're like two halves of the same thing. And, and so we, um, Todd leads certain meetings. I lead certain meetings. 
Wednesday afternoon is all people, which I just love. I love being with people. I wish I had more time to be able to do that. Um, Thursdays are uh, Thursdays are are kind of wrapping up the sermon, making sure that everything is good and ready. Randy usually comes in in the morning. Um, he's the same guy on the other end of the of this. Uh, and, and Randy comes in with sermon questions. We have to go through the outline, small group questions, make sure that everything is published and ready to go because the programs get put together on Thursday. Friday's my Sabbath, um, and I don't interrupt my Sabbath for anything because that's the one day when Laurel and I just spend an inordinate amount of time just together doing what we love to do. Um, we love to walk. We love to, to, to date. Uh, we love to go to Costco. Um, <laughs> I like Costco. It's fun. The samples are amazing. Um, you, can, you can do a whole lunch if you work it right. So I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so that, that's always Friday. And then Saturday is, is yard work. I love to work in my yard. I love to work in my garden. It's just a fun thing for me to do. I'm usually here by about noon on Saturdays. Um, I have a visitation schedule that I meet on my way in. I've got some very close friends that I meet on the way in on Saturdays because they help ground me and pray for me as I'm heading towards. And then Saturday night's church, Sunday morning's church, Sunday afternoon, collapse and die. Um, and, then, uh, and then Sunday evening is, is almost always family time. And so I do, you know, my typical week is kind of a lot like your weeks, uh, which is good. Uh, just doing my best to pastor a church and, and run a fairly large organization along with a lot of help. Um, I'm so thankful for Pastor Todd. He's been an incredible um, uh, incredible teammate as we've walked through this together, and we have an amazing staff people. Um, we have one of the longest tenured staffs that I've ever been on, and that's pretty incredible to me. In fact, if you start looking at some of the pastoral lengths, people here like been here 15 years, 17 years. Um, we always have a certain degree of turnover, especially in May and June. That's just when pastors and church people move around a little bit. Um, I'm thankful we only had two this year, which I'm thankful for. I'm sad to see Chad and Rochelle go, but they're moving to other opportunities that God has called them to uh, uh, with greater responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And when that happens, how do you argue when God has a plan for that? Um, but I love what I do. I've been here for 18 years and you haven't fired me yet, so we must be doing something okay. So anyways, okay, next question. I pray night and date for my grandson's salvation, but he remains on a bad path. Why hasn't God answered a prayer that I know is in his will? <clears throat> because your grandson has a will. Because your grandson has a will. And, 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 this, and this one thing I know, I mean, the Bible says that it is not God's will that any should perish. But God gave your grandson uh, a will. And so I want to encourage you, uh, keep praying. Come on, Grandma. Don't give up. Keep banging on the door. I'm going to tell you something. The reason I am here today is because of the prayers of Hilda Fishbook and Anna Smith. How crazy is that, right? Smith and Fishbook. How did God put those two things together? But my grandma's prayed. When I was a little boy, my grandma, my grandma Fishbook would always say, you know, Oh, Grant, it's so good to see you. We're glad you're here. Um, you're going to be a preacher. No, <laughs> no, you're going to be a preacher. She won. If you've got a grandma praying for you, give up now. Don't resist. It's not worth it. Your, li your life will be hell until you do. I'm just saying from personal experience. And so, but in answer to your question, you are praying in God's will and it is God's will, but your grandson has a will of his own. And here's what I would encourage. It's something you should probably think through. Sometimes we have to pray dangerous prayers. 
do you trust God enough to pray? God, will you, if you have to take my grandson through the floorboards to the place where he has nowhere else to turn other than you, may your will be done. And that's tough. That's tough. Because we can't make somebody's will conform, and God doesn't force that. If he forced that for them, he would have to force it for you. God chooses not to do that. Sometimes I question his wisdom in that, in giving us a free will. But your grandson is exercising his free will right now, and so you need to continue to do what you need to do. You need to continue to love him. You need to continue to pray for him, but you need to understand right now the reason he's not coming to Christ is not because God's not answering prayer. He's not coming to Christ because your grandson is doing what humans do. He's living and embracing his rebellion, and all you can do is continue to pray, love, and push him towards Jesus as best you can. Okay? I know that's not an easy answer, but that's an honest one. All right, let's go. What time we got here? 1022. All right, we're still. My friend has been losing his faith and has recently been self-harming. How do I help him? You know, uh, whether it's cutting, um, abusing whatever numbing agent somebody makes available to themselves. It's a difficult, it's a difficult, um, I'm trying to think if I should answer this. Uh, okay, let, let's go the counseling route here just for a second. So I would say this, you, you're not doing your friend any, it's not kind to pretend that you don't notice. So you need to say something, because I love this verse from Scripture. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And what kind of a friend are you if you don't come alongside and say, so just so you know, I see the marks on your arms. I saw, I, I saw the bottle in your car. And I'm not going to pretend anymore that I don't see. And here's what you need to know. My Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. My Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and I don't want to see you hurt yourself anymore. So you tell me what you need and I will do what I can as your friend to make sure that you know you're not alone in this. And sometimes, I mean, I, I, I have walked more people into a counseling office to say you need to talk to this person because I know them and I trust them and I love them and I want you to have this conversation. I think it's important. I think one of the most important things you can do with somebody who's losing their faith is to live your faith beside them. They need to see that it's real. They need to see where you're turning. They need to see you take initiative. And I said this last night in answer to one of the, I have yet, so I've been doing this for 20, I have yet to have someone refuse prayer. Ever. And when you kindly and gently come alongside of somebody who's hurting and saying, you know, would it be okay? Could I have your permission? Could I pray for you because I know you're hurting? Here's the evidence that you're hurting. Can I pray for you that God would help you? So, so when someone's losing their faith, when you actually turn into your faith, what you're doing is grabbing them by the hand and saying, I know the direction we need to go. We need to get back to the foot of the cross. Because that's where healing is. That's where answers is. Now, we're going to take professional help along the way. Um, uh, cutting and self-harm is at epidemic rates in the United States of America, um, especially amongst young people. And it's growing epidemically. I get this question almost weekly from parents, especially of teenagers. 
And, 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 and so we can't pretend that it's not there. We have to enter into the pain. And, and it's probably going to take more than just you to dig down to what that root issue is. Because there's a lot of layers to issues, especially in being, I mean, it's difficult to be a young adult in this culture. They experience more stress, more pressure, and more anxiety than we ever did, as much as we would not like to say, as much as we'd like to not admit that, but I believe that it's true. And so we sometimes need help to be able to dig underneath of that. So in answer to the question, I would say, if he's losing his faith, you need to live your faith. If they've been self-harming, don't ignore it. Call it out into the open. Scripture says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. So we need to call that out into the light, not pretend that it's not there. Talk about it. Actually say, do you know why? How can I help you? There's normally a cycle that's been going on. What do we need to do to interrupt that cycle? And how can we pull in help from the outside in admitting that we're probably both over our depth when it comes to dealing with these issues at the, at the bottom of all of this pain? And so I would say, um, you know, prayer is a powerful tool. The name of Jesus is a powerful tool. Your life and the fact that you have a friendship is a powerful tool. So don't turn away, turn towards, walk towards Jesus and take that person with you over the long haul. That's how we prove how much we love people. Are we willing to get our hands dirty in the long haul? And I don't know about you, but Jesus has been getting his hands dirty in my life for more than 50 years. And if he can be that patient and strong, I think I can be too. Okay, I think we got time for like one more. One more. Let's do one more and then we'll go for that. Okay, thank you for opening yourself up. You're welcome. And allowing yourself to be an instrument of God. In what areas of your life can we pray for you? Well, that's an awesome thank you. I feel hugged. That's good. Um, in what areas of my life can you pray? Um, so you can pray for my wife. Uh, she took a huge risk on Easter sharing her story. She's a very private person. Um, if you don't know, Laurel has Beatty's crystalline dystrophy, cystoid macular edema. She doesn't look blind, but she is. Um, and she's having surgery tomorrow morning again. Um, the surgery does not correct her two conditions, but it may, it may give her a small amount of clarity uh, in her left eye, which is the only eye that she has this tiny little piece of central vision. Uh, we did an experiment three weeks ago. They did a surgery on her right eye. They wanted to see how it would act because this is her eye that she has almost no sight in whatsoever, a little piece of peripheral over here. Um, and the surgery went well. And so on Thursday, they gave us the green light to do the second surgery. So that's tomorrow morning at nine. So you could pray for that. That would be awesome. Um, and what that will do is it, it just may give her a little bit of clarity. It doesn't fix any of the issues, but it might help. Um, and so we're praying for that, and we're asking Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when you... So we've been praying for that for 24 years. Uh, last week, I talked about the persistent widow banging on the door and saying, God, we need your help. Someone asked me afterwards, you know, do you, do you really think God's going to answer? And my, my only answer was, the only thing I know is this. Jesus just had a thing for blind people. And I know he still does. So we pray every day. What else are we going to do? Right? 
So we pursue everything we can medically and we pray every day for God's miracle. You'll know the day the miracle happens because I will be up on the top of this building screaming at the top of my lungs. And you can come and join me and we'll have church in the parking lot. Um, and, it'll be, and it'll be awesome. So you can pray for Laurel. Uh, both of our kids are getting married this summer and she would love to be able to see a little piece of that even in the very limited way that she can. Um, you can pray for her as she goes through this. Uh, Laurel is a kind, loving, warm human being. Her greatest fear is that she's going to offend somebody because she can't see them. So if you wave to her and she doesn't wave back, it's because she can't see you. Okay, she can't see your face, she can't see your body. Um, it's super helpful if you identify yourself to her, if you just come up and say, hi, you know, it's Terry. She, once she hears your voice, she'll remember it. That's just kind of how good she is at that kind of stuff. So you could pray for that. Um, you could pray for, for both of us because both of our kids are getting married. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you need your lawn mode, um, I'm only charging $25 per lawn right now. And uh, <laughs> just saying, looking for a little side income there because good grief. Um, talk, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, and, and then another, another prayer would be this. You know, after 18 years in one spot, I think it's good and logical to, to be asking the question, Lord, what do you want? What do you want for me? Because I never want to get bored. I never want to bore you. I'm content, but I'm never satisfied. You know, somebody can show up and say, I, I can tell you 20 things wrong with Christ the King Church. I'm like, that's all you can do? I can give you 200 in an hour with a whiteboard. I mean, you just, I mean, because I'm never satisfied because we have so much to be done. We got asked the question last night, you know, do you think we're doing a great job as a church? And my answer was no. You know why? Because there's still 200,000 people in this county that don't know Jesus yet. And until every single one of them knows Christ, no, we're not doing a good job. And we need to keep working on that. So you can pray for me that every week I would hear the voice of Jesus and that I would only ever do what he tells me to do. Whether or not anyone goes with me, whether it makes me popular or not, I'm consumed with this. I don't preach to an audience of thousands on a weekend. I preach to an audience of one. And your approval means something to me, but the approval of Jesus means a whole lot more and I hope you would want it to stay that way. So we're going to keep pressing in as much as we can. And uh, you can pray that I never get tired of that. That would be awesome. And thanks for asking. That's very sweet. Okay, 1032. We should pray, and then we got to get out of here. And you can pray for the 1115 service, because they ask crazy questions. <laughs> that sleep-in service is crazy. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, thanks for honesty and transparency. Lord, I'll even thank you for autocorrect. Uh, <laughs> but God, more than anything, thanks for this spiritual family who have been exceedingly loving, exceedingly patient. And Lord, I pray uh, for them as they have asked, how can we pray for you? Lord, I pray for them that this week, that every time the Holy Spirit nudges them, that they would be obedient. I pray that every time you give them opportunity that they would be bold and speak the name of Jesus. God, I pray for those who are wounded and hurting and I pray that they would run to the cross. God, I thank you for the word of God that has answers to every question. 
And I thank you that it's available to all of us. God, I pray more than anything that people will have heard the words the Bible says today. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Because Lord, you've given us all the answers we need for life and godliness. And I pray that we would access them on a regular basis. Lord Jesus, we're excited about this summer. I pray for help as I get ready for the the Genesis study to start next week. God, it's a crazy book. You give us wisdom and discernment as we walk through it. And Lord, more than anything, may your name be glorified in your people this week. And we pray these things. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys are out of here. Have an amazing weekend. Bless you. Okay. All right, let's go for it. First question. What if there really is no heaven? What if we're just wasting our time? Oh, let's go light right off the start, right? (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. So I believe in the authority of Scripture. Hopefully, you hear this phrase over and over and over and over again, because if you don't, I think we've just done a colossal waste of 40 minutes of your life. Uh, but I'm going to keep saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says there is a heaven. The Bible says there is a hell. And that's a hard truth for people to go. But I don't know about you, but, but um, I like the Bible when it tells me what I want to hear, but I love the Bible even more when it tells me what I don't want to hear. Because then I have an opportunity in that moment to choose whether or not I'm going to place myself under the authority of Scripture or not. Um, You'll learn this about us very quickly. Here at at, at Christ the King Church, we are unapologetic, Bible-thumping Jesus freaks. That's who we are, and that's how we we roll, okay? Scripture Scripture says there is a heaven. And because there is a heaven, what I know is this. I live my life in the temporary but I want to live my life in the temporary with an understanding that there's an eternity that comes after this. And so um, if there really is no heaven, then we are all gloriously wasting our time. But at the same time, there was a famous atheist actually made this statement. I'll give Christians one, one thing, and that is even if there is no sense to their faith, at least they will have contributed by being good people. Okay? Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible says there are no good people. If life is a Western, we all wear a black hat. Jesus wears a white hat. That's it. And our good is not good enough. But, but, but Scripture tells us that Jesus' good is more than good enough. And so we actually tuck ourselves in behind him. And he was the one who said, there is a heaven. There is an eternity. And you are not wasting your time. In fact, you are laying yourself up. You're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's what Scripture says. And so Scripture lays out for us the fact that there is a purpose, and then we're to lay up that treasure, and we do that by living in the real world, but having an eye for a world that we haven't even touched on. And I'll tell you what, I spent a lot of time in hospitals, a ton of time in hospitals, with families. And when you have the promise of heaven, it brings a level of peace into your family because what we know, in fact, I said this last week, to a a family who lost their dad. Last breath here is your first breath there. And when you get there, Scripture says, no more pain, no more tears, no more cancer, no more terrorism, 
Only Jesus and everything that comes along with him. And in that moment, you'll receive an understanding of all of the stuff, all the reason and the purpose that you went through down here. And so I would say, I believe there is a heaven because my Bible tells me so. And I want to live this life with that in mind, knowing that my reward is never going to come here and I'm never going to find that complete peace until I get a full explanation from God as to why things went the way that they went. And I'll tell you what, I hope you're all there to be with me when we have an opportunity to have those questions answered. Okay, so it's an authority question for me. All right, next question. How do I overcome the guilt I feel about a past abusive relationship and how it affects my boys who are now adults? How do I overcome the guilt I feel about a past abusive relationship and how it affects my boys who are now adults? I'm going to read between the lines here so because it's one of the things, I don't have a context on all of these questions, so I'm not sure whether or not the person that's writing in was the abuser or the victim. Okay, I'm going to make an assumption about the fact that you are on the receiving end of the abuse. And I'm going to start by saying this. Um, I am deeply sorry that you went through that. Because no human being deserves that kind of treatment. I don't care what the excuse is. I don't think any excuse holds any water. No human being in this room does not deserve to be loved and cherished, respected, and have dignity. So I'm going to make an assumption that you were in the relationship, and now, because you were in that relationship, it's had effect on your boys who are now adults. And, and to you, I, I would say this. Every one of us is a compilation of experiences. God says we were fearfully and wonderfully made in the beginning, but that we've been given everything that we need. Scripture says we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness in this present world. So what I would say is this, your boys are still watching. And the fact that you stepped out of that relationship, you taught them something. You taught them that you are worthy of dignity and respect and that they should live in relationships that are also giving of dignity and respect. So just because you went through a difficult season of your life in which abuse was a part of it, don't, don't think so little of your boys that they can't add to their understanding now. Because God is continuously forming inside of each one of us a, a set of experiences that allow us to become the person. In fact, I hear this all the time, you know, where people will talk about, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, my grandpa was an alcoholic. And the assumption is that somehow I'm going to end up being an alcoholic too, and I'm just like, time out. Absolutely not. In fact, the reason that God puts you in this situation is to break that generational curse off of your family and you get to live the divine opposite in a different way. So you be the first generation to go a completely different direction and you watch the impact that has on your family. You choose to live different. You choose to live holy. And so to this person, I would say, you now have an amazing opportunity to show the difference between what happens when you live in a difficult season you drag it out into the light, and we live in the light, and God shines his light on top of that, and then you begin to live free, and you begin to show them a different kind of relationship, and you equip them and show them. I mean, I can't find a statue of limitations anywhere 
on Deuteronomy 6. I believe I'm constantly impacting my kids, even though they're adults. I'm impacting them when I share how I got it wrong and when I model for them how to do it right. And so I would say this, your modeling to your kids is not even close to being done. Follow Jesus with everything you have and show them now how a healthy relationship looks like by living that way. Does that make sense? We're good with that? Okay, all right, thumbs up. Okay. Next question. I'm new to town. I want to connect. Welcome. Welcome to Bellingham, Whatcom County. We're glad that you're here. It's awesome that you're here. It's always sunny here 100% of the time. <laughs> it's good. Okay. I'm new to town. I want to connect. How do I connect at CTK? It's a large church and everyone leaves after the service. That's true. Um, because if you stayed, I'm not sure what we would do with you after a certain amount of time. So how do I connect? So there are lots of ways in order to get connected. And I understand this. In fact, I say this all the time. The wonderful thing about Christ the King is it's a really big church. And it is. Uh, we're only one of five campuses here in Whatcom County. So we have five other Christ the Kings. We do multiple services. I think last time I counted, there's 11 services happening in different communities all the time. Um, but it can be a little intimidating. This is one of the bigger campuses. And so it is difficult to connect because everybody walks in, we do the thing, and then we disappear, especially the sleep-in service because you guys are addicted to vitamin D. And as soon as I say, we're done, you guys are like, out of here, um, which is cool. So one of the best ways to get connected is in small groups. Okay? Small groups are amazing because they're small churches. And it's an opportunity to know and to be known. Acts chapter 2 talks about the original church. And it says they met in the temple courts, which is what we're kind of doing right now. But then they went house to house. And so we try to create little churches. We have hundreds of small groups all over the county. And we want you to get plugged in there. In fact, I will say this. If I can't get to your question today, and the chances are we can't, because we had hundreds of questions come in. Hundreds of them already this morning. Not even including yours. Um, the best place for you to get that is not waiting for an appointment in my office when we can talk one-on-one. -on -one. In fact, I'm a cheap substitute for biblical community. So I want to encourage you to get into a smaller community where you can bring that question with other believers and wrestle it to the floor. Because some of the questions deserve so much more than what I, the attention that I can give it in three to four minute answers. So that's one way. Another way is to go straight to the connection point and to get connected in a class or a service project. I will be honest, summertime, it's a little bit harder to get plugged in because it's summertime, all right? Between Memorial Day and Labor Day, the people of Whatcom County, like if the sun is even rumored to be out, this is what I know about you. You're not here, okay? And, and we actually, we don't have an issue with that. I want you to stay faithful. That's why we're doing the Genesis series. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try and, I'm gonna try and make you so curious about what happened in the first book of the Bible that you can't help but show up, okay? That's what we're going to try and do. But small groups, service projects, standing in the commons and actually using that as an opportunity to introduce yourself to people. So I, I met a wonderful young lady from uh, South Africa this morning. And she shared her story with me and we got a chance to talk together. I mean, it was just fantastic, right? And so that's one of the ways that you can get connected and plugged in. Um, another way is to find out, especially if you're a young adult, to check out Ecclesia or youth ministry or young uh, or whatever that happens to be. If you're looking for marriage mentoring, those types, we have all of that stuff that runs perpetually throughout the year. It will take effort on your part. I'm going to say that, right? And you're going to have to be resilient and persistent but we'll do everything we can to try and get you plugged in because we want you to connect here. Uh, there's nothing worse. So like I said, 
The best thing about Christ the King, it's a really big church. The worst thing about Christ the King is it's a really big church. And it's easy for you to feel lonely here, but we will do everything we can to get you connected. So if you initiate the conversation, we'll do everything we can to follow up and get you connected because we want to be able to do that, all right? And if nothing else, I'm standing up here after the end of every service. Come and say hi, and we'll get you plugged in. At least you'll know one person, okay? All right, great question. How should Christians approach L? LBGQT, it's usually LBGTQ um, issues. And I would say this, I think we, number one, we need to approach it, we need to always approach this with love because I've never met anybody who didn't want to be treated as a person to be loved. It's a person to be loved, not an issue to be solved. I think we need to step into the issue. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read I'm gonna read into the lines here just a little bit. I hope you'll go with me and we'll be as we'll be as honest and transparent as we can. So the Bible says that homosexuality in Romans chapter one, 1 Corinthians six, it says that homosexuality is not God's plan. Okay? Now we have to be very tender with that because sometimes as Christians we make a huge mistake by going, absolutely, and we start banging that drum. I'm like, hold on. If you go back to those scriptures, you'll notice there's a whole bunch of stuff that's in that context too. Anybody in the room has ever disrespected your parents? You're on the same list. Anybody here who has ever said a single lie in your life? You're on the same list. It's just true. But for some reason, we like to take certain sins and put them in a different category. And I think God would say, hold on. So, does Christianity, does the Bible teach that homosexuality is not God's plan? Yes, it does. So what that means is we need to have a loving, respectful dialogue at all times. Every single time we enter into this, and we need to hold this not like a hammer, but with, but with a velvet-gloved hand that says, I, I want to be in relationship. I want to talk. I want to have a conversation. I want to actually spend time. Let, let's, let's look at Scripture together and let's struggle with this. Nothing is accomplished when either one in that conversation defaults and pulls away and breaks off the relationship. It doesn't help anybody. So let's talk about the struggle. Let's talk about how hard it is. Let's talk about how poorly the church has dealt with this in the past. Because the response has normally been, well, just stop it. What? How'd that work for you and your stuff, right? That just doesn't work. So having an honest, open dialogue and realizing that my Bible often calls me to believe things that are difficult, especially in modern culture. So I want to hold that like this. But what we ask for is a respectful dialogue. I mean, at the end of 1 Peter there, it says that we do this with gentleness and respect. So you're not my project. You're a person. So we get an opportunity to talk. Well, at the same time, understanding that at Christ the King Church, we try as best we can to hold to the biblical convictions, even when they're really hard. Even when they're really difficult. And what we ask is, can we have a conversation with this. We understand that while we hold to biblical convictions that there's a tension there that's always going on because we got this culture thing going on the other side. 
but can we have a loving, respectful dialogue as we walk through this and struggle with this together? Can you be respectful of the fact that we have convictions and can, be re- can we be respectful for you as a human being who's worthy of dignity? And we can disagree all sorts of ways, but it's never an excuse for us to demean, dishonor, or disrespect anybody else. I think what we need to do is stay in the dialogue together. Can, can we be honest? Okay, the body of Christ is mostly known for its mouth. Can we agree with that? And I believe the key to, to, to walking respectfully, even when we disagree, is not to be a mouth, but to be a hand. Say, take me by the hand, let's walk through this together, let's struggle with it together, and let's acknowledge that we all need Jesus in this conversation, okay? All right? I know it's not exhaustive, but it's a part of it, okay? So the short answer to that question is with humility and respect. That's how we have that conversation. Okay, how can I ask for God's forgiveness when I haven't even forgiven myself for the mistakes that I've made? Ooh, good question. So I get in real trouble when I answer this one <laughs> because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I have to be so careful how I say this, okay? So um, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and forgive our sin, to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the biblical promise that God gives to us. So, so let me put it this way. I believe to not receive God's forgiveness when it's freely offered. I believe that, um, one more time. <laughs> Give me a second. It's like, holy smokes. Um, God offers forgiveness. I believe that for you to not receive that forgiveness while still carrying blame and shame on yourself is the apex of arrogance. Because what you're really saying is this, God's grace is good enough for me, but my forgiveness is not good enough for me. And if God can forgive you, why would you put yourself in a different category? Okay? So why would you put yourself in a different category? Because what you're really saying then is God's grace is not enough for me. Let me say this. Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God's grace covers everything. So why would we take our past and pull it outside from the covering of grace, when God says, I can cover it all for you. So I would say we need to get it in the right order. This is not about ask, trying to forgive yourself first. You got to do it in the right order. You ask for God's forgiveness, and then because you know it's been covered in eternity, past, present, and future, then you do the hard work of forgiving yourself under the banner of the grace that God's already extended to you. If you try to, to just, oh, I got to forgive myself, forgive myself, forgive myself, and then I go to God, it's backwards. It's backwards and it's upside down. God says, no, you come to me first because guess what? Everything you've done, he already knows. It's not a surprise. It's not a secret. 
You've never been praying and confessing and have had the God of heaven go, holy cow, where did that come from? I did not, I did not see that one coming today. Wow, fish book, that was, wow, that's never happened. So I come to God first, I receive his forgiveness, and then I do that hard recovery work of working through all the pain of my own past stuff. I take the Bible at its word where it says, confess your sin to each other. And I go to another human being, and I, for those of you that are 12-steppers, I confess the very nature of my wrongs. Because God says that's actually powerful to be able to do that. And if it's somebody that's trustworthy and honest, they, they reach across the table and they say, it's okay. You're forgiven by God. You're forgiven by people. And now you need to do the hard work of forgiving yourself. But it's possible as long as you get it in the right order. So start with, start with God first. Experience that forgiveness. And then do the hard recovery work on your own. You'd be amazed how much grace there is for yourself when you've experienced God's grace overall. Okay, does that make sense? We're good with that? Okay, okay. Took me a while to get there, but I think we finally made it, okay? What is faith? How do I get some or get more? So faith is being certain of what we cannot see but holding it deeply inside of us as a, as a conviction. So, um, you know, faith is one of those interesting things. They call it, you know, if you use the illustration of it's a step of faith. When I don't know what's on the other side of that cliff, but I trust that God's going to catch my foot when I get there. I believe that one of the ways that we develop faith in our life is to actually take a step of faith. We actually have to move. And a step of faith can come in lots of different directions. So in my, in my personal world, right, I, I am believing every single day that God can heal my wife. That God can restore sight to the blind. I believe that to be true. And every day I have to take a step of faith by believing and trusting. And the way that I do that is I keep coming back and I keep knocking on the door. Because I believe God can do that. Now, how do you grow your faith? I believe you grow your faith by... by taking steps of faith and then looking for God's answers and focusing on the faithfulness that he, that, that he gives to each one of us over a long period of time. Faith is not something that I believe is, is instantaneous and you just kind of grab it and go. I believe faith has grown over a, an entire lifetime where you keep looking back and going, oh, I thought that God was going to answer my prayer this way and instead he answered it that way. And boy, now that I got 20 years behind me, boy, am I ever glad he didn't give me what I asked for in the first place. <laughs> it's the protective thing, you know? The great theologian, Garth Brooks, once said, so um, <laughs> one of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayer. The country music fans got it, right? Okay. Um, Garth didn't get that on his own. It's like scripture actually says we live in faith every day. We step out in action, and then we trust God as we're moving forward every single day. You know, people try to boil faith into an equation. It doesn't work. Faith is often that, that, that big God-sized dream that you have, and you pursue it with everything you have. I'll tell you what. Um, people often ask me, so how did Christ the King get to where it's at today? Two answers, faith and prayer. 
Faith actually believed that we could take an old shopping mall and fill it with people and talk about Jesus every week. <laughs> Prayer said, you can actually take an old shopping mall and put people in it and talk about Jesus every single week. Faith and prayer, those two things went hand in hand together. And so faith is that discipline, it's that step, it's that courageous act that says, I believe that God is who he says he is, that my Bible is true, and that I can act by believing, even if I can't see it, and even though it feels like it's not certain, it's what takes me into that beautiful place where I believe that God is going to answer and that God's going to come through. Okay? It's kind of a nebulous one. It's a tough one to be able to nail down. Okay, let's keep going. Can we have a happy one? Like, um, oh, jeez. <laughs> you know what I've been waiting for all weekend? I've been waiting for like one of the ones like, you know, how do I meet the cute girl that's four seats down from me? And then I'll just say, you tell me who you are. And then we do a ring check to make sure she's not taken. And then we, you know, that's what I've been waiting for. Nobody has given me one of those all weekend long. It's like, come on, people, help a guy out, okay? The suicide is sin. Okay, so we're going to actually deal with this one in the Taboo 2 series, which is coming this fall. We did Taboo last summer. You gave me so many topics that we ran out of time, so we're going to do that this fall. And hopefully uh, people will come and check it out. This is one of the main topics. Let me give you just a nutshell so you know. Uh, First of all, um, the book of Romans tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Is suicide selfish? Yes. And I know that because I sit with families who have to deal with the heartbreak of someone who makes that selfish decision without due consideration for how that's going to affect everybody else that they love and that loves them. So is it a sin? Yes, I believe suicide is a sin. Is it unforgivable? The Bible says that the only unforgivable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which means to die with an unrepentant heart. That's how I would define the unforgivable sin. So is suicide a sin? It is selfish. It's not the answer. It's a temporary, it's a temporary solution to, to an eternal issue. And it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody, and it certainly doesn't stop pain. In fact, I believe it increases pain. And so I think we have to be really, really careful um, about how we define these specific terms. But I would say this. I, I think what somebody's asking, I'm going to read between the lines here on this one. I think what somebody's asking is, if my life is so painful, and I want a way out, Am I going to be judged eternally if I take this road? Let me talk to that heart first. I know it may be really, really painful. But taking your own life is not the answer. And I'm going to say this to you. We may not know you, but we love you. And you're not alone And the reason you came today is not because you willed yourself into church. It's because the God of creation picked you. And he brought you here to hear this. Your life has purpose, even though it doesn't feel like it. 
And you're not alone, even though you may feel like it, because God said that he would never leave you or forsake you. And your life matters to us, and we will walk with you because this is a family. It's a big dysfunctional family, but it's a family. And we would love the honor of walking with you in the midst of all the stuff that is pressing you towards this moment when you think that not living is a better alternative than staying and being with us. I don't know you, but God has given me an intense love in my heart for you. And if you need me to prove it to you, we're going to do this. Family of God, would you join me as we pray for whoever this brother or sister is right now? Would you join me? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, you are the giver of life and purpose. And to this brother or sister, we want to remind them what your Bible says. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. Before they were even conceived, they were knit together. Before they were even knit together in, in their mother's womb, you had a plan and a purpose and a heart and a love. And that's why you created them. Father God, we pray against any lie of the enemy that would say that somehow the world would be better off without them. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and we come against it in Jesus' name. Instead, God, we come and we pray the truth of your love and your hope. God, I pray that they would know that you care, that you love, that you're there. God, I pray right now they would not miss this. Lord, their question has prompted the entire family of God to circle around them right now, Lord, and we pray that our prayer would feel like two hands on their shoulders, that the hands of God would press down deep and heavy, and that they would know that there are people who love and care. Father God, would you instill life and hope and peace would you saturate this moment right now for them with an undeniable touch from your Holy Spirit? God, I pray that they would not feel invisible. I pray that they would know that the entire Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are standing around their chair right now and wrapping them in love, acceptance, forgiveness, and peace. Lord, we don't know their name, but you do. Lord, would you whisper love to them right now? And may they be filled with the simple hope that God is paying attention. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And, uh, If that's you, we're going to be standing up here at the front. I'd love to know your name because you matter. And I don't want you to be an anonymous texter. I'd love, uh, I'd love to say hi because I've been there. I've been there. Okay. I'm 14 and I feel guilty about my past. I feel the need to do something amazing to bring me peace. What can I do to become better and to find that peace? You're 14. Wow. 
you're going to do something amazing because look at the questions you're already asking. Good grief. That's awesome. I feel the need to do something amazing to bring me peace. What can I do to become better and to find that peace? You know, sometimes I believe we're looking for this, this humongous moment when we have to do some grand sacrifice or some grand gesture in order to get God's attention and then peace is going to flood our soul. Um, I would challenge you to think differently. The Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because here's what I've learned. When you put a series of small, amazing things together, a little tiny little piece, uh, if you string them together long enough, it becomes a lifetime. And that's pretty incredible. So last week, um, we had people who stood to their feet while we sang a song, a modern version of It Is Well, and for some people, that was a big, 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 big deal. For other people, it was just a small, a small step of faith in believing that God could bring peace into their life regardless. Now, it may have been a past decision that they made, or it could have been a tragedy that they were dealing with, um, but we sang, we sang it. Let me tell you the old version. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, it has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That was written by a man whose entire family drowned in a boating tragedy. And he wrote those words, Horatio Spafford wrote those words as the ship went over the spot where his entire family drowned. And he learned to say, it is well. Don't underestimate the power of simply being able to say before God, God, I have regrets, but if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just and have forgiven my sin and have cleansed my heart from all unrighteousness. What was once as, as scarlet has now been washed as white as snow. And so God, because I know that you are true, I receive the peace that comes from being able to say, I do have regret for what happened in the past. I'm thankful for day, today for the covering and the forgiveness that you offer me. And so I welcome your peace as I simply say, it is well. It's well with me. And I would encourage you, Instead of focusing on this big amazing thing to try and balance the scales, instead, do the incremental small steps of faith towards Jesus on a daily basis and I promise you something will happen and it will be amazing. Because God honors the small steps that we take each and every day. And by the way, for a 14-year-old, you are exceptional you are incredible, and if you keep going the direction you're going and asking these kind of questions, someday you can wear this microphone and I'll give you my job because I'd follow somebody like you, okay? Just saying that. All right. Okay. Oh, wow, we're coming to the end. Okay. My girlfriend and I live together. She recently accepted Christ. After living together now for years, what's the best way to honor God and receive his blessing before we get married? You guys just didn't go light at all. Like, whatever happened to, how you doing, Grant? Um, that would be good. Okay, so, um, we're living together and recently accepted Christ, lived together for years. It's the best way to honor God and receive his blessing before we get married. Okay, so, a couple of things just come spinning into my mind. Just come spinning into my mind. Um, 
So we have a couple in our church who were in exactly this scenario. They, they, they'd been living together for years, and then God convicted them and said, you need to make this right. Not so you get a piece of paper from the government that says you're married, but because God said, this is my plan, um, a man and a woman together in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. That's my plan for relationships. That's what I want you to do. So they got convicted of God. They actually had two kids, and they came to me and said, um, we want to get married. And I said, that's awesome. You want to do the right thing, and I want to honor that process. I said, but so here's the deal. You've got kids that are watching what's going on, and so I, I, I want you to tell them, I want you to be able to tell them a story because they're going to ask you a question. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? The dad because it would have been disruptive to the family, moved to the sofa for three months. And guess what his daughters wanted to know? Daddy, why are you sleeping on the sofa? Are you and mom and dad fighting? And his answer was no. The Holy Spirit of God has shown me that your mom is so beautiful and so worthy of honor that we want to get married in the sight of God. And I want to tell you a story. We want to do this the right way, so we're actually living apart because we want to honor God in everything. And until we're married and have a covenant relationship, we're not going to come together again as you have seen us come together. Daddy believes mom is so worthy of honor that I'm going to sleep out here in the living room so that when we have this day, when we come together as a family and we exchange rings and vows, that you're going to know that daddy loved mom enough to do what God said to do. You know what? I know those little girls. You should hear them tell the story of the lengths that their daddy went to to show them how amazing their mom is. So I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to live apart. Here's one thing that I know. The divorce rate amongst cohabiting couples is 300 times those couples who do not cohabitate. That, that, that's a statistic that doesn't come up very often. 300 times. You know why? Because when you live together before you're married, you never address the issues of permanency. So this is what happens. You come to my office, we have a conversation, which by the way, we always want to help people do the right thing. So we would love to be a part of that thing. But we have a guy and a girl, and they come in and they say, Grand, here's the deal. We think we're, we're cool with it. We love each other a whole lot. We're living together. We want to know if God's okay with that. I'm just like, God's not okay with that. God's not okay with that. And then I always ask the question to the girl, and I say, so I'd like to ask you a question. How does it feel to be good enough to live with but not good enough to marry? And the same thing happens every single time. She slowly turns and looks at the side of his head, and she says, I'd like to hear the answer to that question too. Never address the issues of permanency. That's why God has an order. You covenant first, then you move in together, then you do life together, and then you work really, really hard. Because once the covenant is in place, that holds you together when you discover that you're both human. Because it's a promise made before God, not a human promise made before a couple of broken, fallible people. So I would encourage you to step out and apart and I know it's hard, but I've learned this. Anything that's worth doing, if it's hard, it, it's worth doing it because that's what God asks you to do. So I would encourage you to live apart until you get married and then come back together again 
and that will give you both the honor and the blessing of God. You know, people ask me to do weddings all the time, and I always say this to them. Uh, I'm not in the wedding business. I'm in the marriage business. And someday I'm going to answer for every wedding I've ever done. And what I want to be able to say in good conscience is, God, when they made a promise and I made a covenant before you, it was blessable. I honor you for wanting to take this step, by the way. I think you're amazing. I think you're heroes. I'd love to help in any way that I can, but that's how you do it. You actually step apart to do it God's way, then you come back together again and you enjoy the favor of God because that's what he said he wanted it to be done. It's not easy, but I promise you it's worth it. Okay, uh, 12, 18, we have two minutes. Last question, very last question. How do I know it's the right time to be baptized? I've always wanted to be baptized, but I don't know how it works. You know it's the right time to be baptized because you're asking this question, Okay. The right time to be baptized is in the moment of obedience when the Holy Spirit says to you, I want you to go public with your faith in Jesus. We're going to do something a little bit later on this summer. Normally, we do all of our baptisms here. We're going to do an outdoor one. Like after an 11:15 service, we're just going to show up at Lake Patton, and you can come on down there, and we're going to get in the lake, and we're going to baptize anybody that wants to be baptized. We baptize about four times a year here. Um, and, and, and we care so much about the symbol of baptism because it's so unbelievably beautiful. It's not salvation. It's a public declaration of something that happened deep inside of you. You identify with the burying, God being buried under the water, and then the resurrection of Jesus when you come back out, out of the water. You can't do that on your own. You have to do it in community, and that's unbelievably powerful. So I believe it's the right time to be baptized if God is telling you now is the right time. Parents, be very careful with your kids. It can't be your decision. It has to be theirs, and they need to be able to articulate and understand. I get asked questions sometimes like, so, Grant, there's like a seven-year-old over here. Like, do they really know what they're doing? I'll tell you what. That seven-year-old went through a baptism class and had to sit down with a listener, and we... I promise you, if they're getting baptized, they were able to articulate exactly what baptism was and why that decision meant something. Otherwise, we tell people to wait because we really want them to have that understanding deep inside of their heart. We want them to make their decision based on the dealings of God in their life and not just their parents, okay? So parents, don't superimpose your ideal on your kid until they're ready to initiate with you, but I believe it's the right time to be baptized when you actually initiate that, if you have more questions about that, we'd be happy to answer them because we love baptizing people. It's just a celebration here every single time. It is now 1220. I'm out of time. Uh, if you want to hear the answers to all the other questions, you should go back because the other services, there were some crazy questions and we did our best to be able to walk through them. Thanks for actually being a part of a conversation today. Will you stand with me as we pray and close? Father God, thank you for an opportunity to be with friends and family today. God, thank you for the questions we could answer, Lord, and I pray that you would be the answer to all the questions we couldn't get to. Father, I thank you for the authority of God's word, Lord, and I do pray that people would have heard the words it says in the Bible, it says in the Bible, it says in the Bible. Because God, that is the only authority that we have to grab a hold of in this culture that moves all over the place. So Lord, be with my brothers and sisters this week as they go out and have real conversations in real time with people. I pray that the love and the light of Jesus would shine through them. God, I pray for those who courageously need to receive prayer today. And instead of going with everybody else, I pray that they'd come to the front so we can have an opportunity to pray. God, I pray for those who want to be connected that they would be connected. I pray for those who are being prompted to be baptized, to be baptized. And God, I thank you for the beautiful opportunity I have every single week 
to get a front row seat in watching you transform people's lives. God, it's been a crazy ride for the last 18 years. And I pray that it would continue as you press out your perfect purpose for all of the people. Christ the King of Whatcom County, we pray these things in your beautiful and good name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The prayer team will be up here at the front if you'd like to pray with somebody. We'd love to have you do that. You are out of here. Have a great weekend, you guys. God bless you.